You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I was never a Manhattan guy, but I, I, I was downtown before, you know, like a few times. You couldn't make anything out. Like, it was just everything was just like destroyed. I just saw uh, a gigantic hole, uh, rubble everywhere. On September 11th, 2001, Jonathan D'Amato was working as an emergency medical technician in the Bronx. By the time he was able to get from his station to the financial district, it was dark. He helped search for people among the rubble. Lots of smoke. Lots of, uh, you know, I guess from the fires that were all there. Lots of smoke. It was definitely something I'll never see again. He was a kid, only 22 years old and on the job for maybe a year. John is now a lieutenant paramedic with the New York City Fire Department. He's grown a bit numb to the daily stresses of his line of work. A lot of these things don't get to me. Not not that I, I don't, I don't relate because I do relate but if I let everything get to me I would never be able to do this job in two decades on the job there had never been a day quite as insane as September 11th it stood out for him as maybe the most extreme moment in his career that was until March 2020 on this Monday night ramping up the response to the COVID-19 outbreak we are seeing the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak shift here to the United States. Bad news, New York City coronavirus cases soar, now accounting for one-third of all cases in the U.S. and to stop the spread of the virus. Governor Cuomo taking a death. John says the intensity of 9-11 doesn't even come close to what he has endured over the past year. Now, in addition to saving lives, it frequently feels like he is also risking his own. Clearly, we're masked up. We have goggles on. You know, the, you're protected, but you're exposing yourself to this every single day versus that was a one-time event. Since March, the looming threat of contracting COVID-19 has been unyielding for John. This is every day. Hopefully, you don't get it today. You know, hopefully, you protect yourself properly and whatever the case is. Just after Thanksgiving... 
John shared an article from CNBC on Facebook. It suggested that doctors needed to warn people that vaccines might come with side effects. The article clearly annoyed him. He thought concerns about vaccines were overblown, and people should just get the shot as soon as it was available. Here's John reading his post. Of course you should know the side effects. Does it matter, though? The virus has shut the entire world down for almost a year. People have lost their way of life. Our kids are definitely going to be the stupidest generation for all the school they have missed. Families are ruined, but make sure you don't get vaccinated because of the side effects. I get it. Some won't agree, but oh well. Then his aunt texted him. She was like, you know, listen, in the end, do what you want. But um, I'm going to send you a few things. So my aunt's a nurse. She's in disease control. So I said, all right. I said, let me look. Because I I'm, I, I say anti-vaxxer. I was never, I'm still not an anti-vaxxer. Like uh, I get my flu shot. I don't technically believe in it. It's only 30, 40% accurate. One video John's aunt sent him was especially persuasive. Most of the information in the video was not true. But John didn't know that. Historically, coronaviruses, uh, vaccines for coronaviruses have had a terrible safety record. The video shows an older, bespectacled man in a boxy suit at a podium. We've decided to not name the person in this video in hopes of avoiding spreading this kind of misinformation. The concerns he raises would be pretty terrifying, if they were true. He suggests that drug makers were ignoring major safety issues in the interest of rushing a vaccine to market as quickly as possible. Once I saw that video and the literature she was sending me, I was like, man, how? I didn't even consider not getting it. And I, if I didn't know it was an RNA-type sequence, what else don't I know about it, you know? What John's referring to here is the fact that both the Moderna and Pfizer COVID vaccines use a technology called mRNA. A lot of vaccines people are familiar with, like the ones for polio and the measles, work by using a tiny amount of weakened or inactive virus to trigger an immune response. Initially, John had just assumed that's what the COVID vaccines were. But mRNA vaccines instead teach the body how to produce proteins that spur an immune response. It's kind of like an instruction manual for how to fight COVID. There's a lot of excitement over mRNA vaccines because it's way faster and easier to develop them. They don't require growing large amounts of a virus and then taking the time to weaken or inactivate it. And mRNA vaccines have been studied before for the flu, Zika, and rabies. Cancer research has also used mRNA to trigger the immune system to attack cancer cells. All of this is to say that this may be a newer technology, but it is definitely not an unknown one. Everything we know at this point suggests that mRNA vaccines are not only safe, but extremely effective. Still, it's true that there has never been an mRNA vaccine on the market. And the video pointed out to John that this was just yet another aspect of the pandemic that felt uncertain. I really don't know much about it. And to be honest, I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about the whole the way the RNA 
does its thing. You know, um, I'm a little skeptical about it. The video was convincing. Here was this guy whipping out all of these big scientific terms, speaking passionately, seemingly pleading to anyone who would hear that we are putting everyone at risk with this vaccine. And then when my aunt sent me this video and I was watching it, this one particular doctor started talking about how he identified an issue with the protein. When John saw that video, it planted the tiniest seed of doubt in his mind about getting the vaccine. Suddenly, the potential side effects didn't seem that irrelevant anymore. What if I take it and something happens to me down the road? I'm torn between both. You know, I really am. I'm torn between both. So then I started doing my research on the on the actual doctor who did the video and everything came back like positive on the doctor. John felt like he needed to learn more about what the skeptics were saying about this vaccine. He spent hours researching them. And if you go looking for this stuff on the Internet, it is not hard to find information that confirms your worst fears. It's very, very scary stuff. I've been a doctor for a long time. Before me, my father is a doctor. I'm not anti-vaccine. Definitely you should not be calling this the COVID-19 vaccines. The reason is, whatever you call it, it's experimental. I don't really want to be the first person to take brand new things when it comes to medicine. How many of those happily queuing up to be vaccinated know that the list of possible adverse event outcomes what most people call side effects, includes the following. Guillain-Barre syndrome, transverse myelitis, myelitis, encephalomyelitis, meningitis, encephalophilus. The game is to prevent the therapies till everyone is infected and push the vaccines. Convulsions, stroke, narcolepsy, cataplexy. And they'll kill millions, as they already have with their vaccines. Venous thromboembolism, arthritis, and death. You really don't want any of those, especially the last one. The more he read and watched, the more John's tiny seed of doubt grew. One text from his aunt taken John from vaccine advocate to full-blown skeptic. I was so blind, I didn't even look to see what the other side, what the people who are not getting the vaccination and why. I didn't even consider it. Like, it wasn't even a thought in my head. Like, why would I not get the vaccination? I didn't know it was an RNA-type vaccination. I still, I thought it was a, uh, a weakened live virus. So... After I started doing research, I was like, okay, I understand why some people aren't getting it. John is not alone. A February Pew poll found that about 30% of Americans did not plan to get vaccinated. That number was actually an improvement over earlier polls. Those numbers are troubling. Some experts suggest that they are probably not high enough for the vaccine to work. How do we get to this point? To a point where even healthcare workers are suspicious of the vaccines. 
if anybody understands the toll of this virus, it's people on the front lines, like John. Sure, there are online conspiracy theories. And the way some coronavirus vaccines have been made is kind of new. But the thing is, this crisis in public confidence didn't start in March 2020 or with the development of a COVID-19 vaccine or even with the misinformation-heavy presidency of Donald Trump. It has been brewing for a long, long time. I'm Kristen V. Brown, a healthcare reporter for Bloomberg News. This is Doubt, a podcast from Prognosis. We're going to tell you a story about how vaccines have gone from something viewed as harmless, routine, and life-saving to something polarizing, protested, and feared. Over the past year, it has felt like the once fringe concerns about vaccines have suddenly gone viral. This is not a podcast about science. This is a podcast about how people come to hold their beliefs. We know vaccines are safe and effective, but we'll show how mistrust, misinformation, and the internet all undermine that fact. In the past year, we've seen that growing vaccine hesitancy has serious consequences. It has made it that much harder to control the pandemic. John, the paramedic, still remembers the very first COVID-19 case he treated. It was a gentleman who was sick, not terribly sick, but sick, really weak, pale, short of breath. This was April of last year. As a lieutenant, John's job involves a lot of paperwork. The virus had already been spreading for weeks before he went into the field and saw someone sick with what seemed to be COVID. When he got to the scene, he didn't know what to make of it. But not, like, you see some people that just can't breathe. He was just short of breath. You know, and, and the paramedics put the pulse ox on him, and it was like 60. Pulse ox is short for pulse oximeter. It's a small device that slides onto a person's finger and can measure how well their heart is pumping oxygen through their body. Any reading below 90 is low. Someone with a reading of 60, like this man would usually be having a lot of trouble breathing, if they were conscious at all. This guy was weak and pale, but only a little short of breath. I've never in my life seen somebody with a 60, like, that looks fairly okay. But over and over throughout the last year, John witnessed patients whose blood oxygen levels were dangerously low, yet looked relatively fine. It was weird. Every job, the crews, whether the patient was just sick or whether the patient was really short of breath or unconscious, every job, the pulse oxes was 70s and 80s. And that's not something that you, you commonly see. When you're like the first line worker seeing someone who's that sick and then the hospital doesn't even know how to treat it, but yet you have to, it would, a lot of the crews got nervous and panicked. All of this uncertainty around COVID was a scary thing for John. 
he wasn't just worried about himself. When he saw COVID spreading like wildfire, he was worried about bringing it home to his five kids. And especially to his four-year-old son, Nico. It was right after Nico was born that they found some pretty severe issues with his heart. We were leaving, we were leaving the hospital. We were discharged. And um, that, that hospital, a few, like two, three years prior, had implemented a post ops check. Comes down to the post ops office. Did a post ops check. And um, his was, so if it's less than 50, it, it gives an arrow, like less than. And he, it popped up less than. I'm like, no, I can't be this. He was in the in the room with us for two days. Like, he's not, they call it cyanotic. He's not blue. He's not breathing heavy. How is this kid's pulse ox less than 50? So they did it with another one, another machine. Same thing. That was it. Gone. Took him upstairs. You know, brushed him upstairs to ICU, pediatric ICU. Did a whole bunch of tests. Within two hours, they were like, we have to transfer him out. We'll call in an ambulance. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It turned out that Nico had multiple problems with his heart. He was born without a pulmonary valve and without the wall that divides the left and right chambers of the heart. Nico has had so many surgeries in his short life that John can't remember exactly how many. He's gone through eight or nine surgeries, you know, um, and still needs some down the road. People with heart issues are especially at risk of developing severe cases of COVID-19. The disease can also damage the respiratory system and make it harder for the heart to work. If I, if I brought him in the room, you would look at him, you would never even know he had all these surgeries. He's like, amazing. But... I don't want to get him sick, you know. Back in the spring of 2020, John's job felt especially dangerous. There was so little information about exactly who was most at risk for the virus. And Nico was waiting on a critical surgery to repair his heart. The fire department offered hotels to first responders who were worried about bringing the virus home to their families. I debated taking this these hotels because they had them in every borough that they had but but then I'm like you know what am I not going to see my kids for weeks on end that and John couldn't very well leave his wife at home with five kids to take care of by herself John has close cropped dark hair and a thin mustache he looks young and projects this sort of zen attitude of chillness about the state of everything but when I talk to him over zoom I can tell that he is tired, 
reclining against the headboard in his bedroom. Other times when we talk, kids often interrupt the conversation. Who's that, Nico? Is that Nico or Lorenzo? Yeah, say hi, Nico. (laughs) Bye! John now has more overnight work shifts. They can go for 16 hours, and he's constantly dealing with his kids when he's home. It's not a stretch to say that John is anxious for the pandemic lifestyle to be over. He might be wary of the vaccines, but he understands better than most people how serious the virus is. And he's tried hard to protect his family from it. And of course, the clearest path out of this for John and for everyone is mass vaccination. If people get vaccinated, a virus like COVID just doesn't have enough hosts to keep on surviving and thriving. Eventually, it can't find anywhere to live. So it dies out. That's how polio was eliminated from the U.S. and many other countries. It's why we don't really worry about tetanus or whooping cough or, at least until recently, the measles. And yet, one deceptively convincing video started John down a path that led him to decide against getting a vaccine. So let's talk a little bit more about that video, the one John's aunt sent him. The man talking in this video is a staunch vaccine skeptic. He's not a medical doctor, but the head of an arcane research institute that supports research into topics including the risks of several vaccines. But his first hit on Google suggested he was affiliated with a well-known university, as well as the founder of a medical journal. Not a single vaccine manufacturer took heed of my warning to remove those unsafe epitopes from the vaccines. It's easy to see how a video like this might make vaccines seem confusing and scary to anyone, especially in a time plagued by the uncertainty of the past year. Videos like this are designed to seem plausible. The man spits off a litany of figures and complicated-sounding biological terms and cites research that he says is peer-reviewed. But he doesn't leave a whole lot of time for you to think too hard about what you're watching. Before you can sift through each scary claim, he's moved on to another. The only single data point, the datum that we have on what percentage of patients, exposed human patients exposed to a coronavirus vaccine, have had serious adverse events, is from the Moderna trial, and that number is 21%. It's big statements like this, that 21% of people got seriously ill that make the video so persuasive. But it's also just not true. In data submitted to the FDA for authorization, Moderna reported that out of more than 15,000 patients that received the vaccine, about 1% experienced any serious adverse events, a number that was about the same as people who received a placebo shot. The number of serious potential side effects has been even lower since distribution of it began. But the video was recorded in October, before any of this data was out. And the man in the video seems to be cherry-picking numbers from a very early trial of the vaccine that involved just 14 people. But for John, there was now doubt percolating in his mind. 
where there had not been any before. To be honest, the big game changer to me was that that video I saw. And the fact that I checked that doctor's credentials and it all checked out, that was a big game changer to me. I want to be clear about a few things here. There is still a lot we don't know about both COVID-19 and the vaccines intended to prevent it. It is easy to see how people fall down the rabbit hole like John did and wind up scared or skeptical. But there is also a lot that we do know. These vaccines have been tested thoroughly and appear safe. That information can just sometimes be hard to find. John says the newness of it all made him a bit skittish. The doctor had said that he identified an issue with it. But, and he works in this field, but they chose, they were, they were so far uh, in, into the process with, the, with, with making the vaccine, he said that they just continued to go along with it. When John did his homework, he told me he found both good and bad things about this misinformation spreading researcher. I felt even if half of his concerns were correct, it was enough to, to worry about. John told me he recognized the limits of what he could learn by simply Googling. So he tried to get the fire department to host some kind of information session about the vaccines. He also consulted with a fire department doctor. She, too, told him she was skeptical about the vaccine. She said she was opting out because she doesn't trust an RNA-type vaccination because it's There's a lot of unknowns to an RNA-type vaccination. They've been working on it for years, but there's a lot of unknowns. At the end of the day, though, it seems like the biggest issue is that John just couldn't bring himself to trust the people meant to calm his doubts. The vaccine. Uh, The president. He means Donald Trump here. Swore it was going to be in by a certain time. Everyone said it'll never be ready by then. Never ready by then. And this was going on and on and on. It's going to be ready by this time. It's going to be ready by this time. It'll never be ready. Boom, it was ready by the time. These are medical professionals that you're supposed to trust, but they can't even get on the same page. So why should I believe them about an RNA virus? The tricky thing about vaccines is that they require public trust in order to work. In an environment in which the facts keep changing, what version of them do you even believe? At the start of the pandemic, public health officials in the U.S. went on record saying masks were not necessary. While face masks are currently required in some parts of China to prevent the spread of the deadly coronavirus, here in the U.S., the Centers for Disease Control is not yet recommending them for the public. Then more study of the virus revealed masks were in fact critical instruments in slowing its spread. Doubt about masks naturally followed. So did protests. In the U.S., none of this was helped by a president who promoted claims not backed by science. Former President Trump suggested the possibility of ingesting bleach to combat the virus. He also promoted the wonders of a drug called hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID without any credible evidence to back it up. Worse yet was the lack of agreement between the White House and public health figureheads such as Anthony Fauci, the most senior expert on infectious diseases in the country. Like John said, who do you trust when the people you are supposed to trust can't agree with each other? (laughs) 
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Heidi Larson studies mistrust of vaccines. She's the founder of the Vaccine Confidence Project at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. It's a nonprofit that looks at how rumors about vaccines spread and why. A time like COVID is really full of rumoring for a a good reason, actually, because even the scientists are learning every day. And if you look at the formal definition of a rumor, it's a piece of yet unverified information. So it has the potential to actually be true or come true, but it also, it, I sometimes say rumors have a bad reputation because we always assume they're bad, but, but actually people are trying to figure out based on bits and pieces of information, what's the story. So I think they've particularly thrived in the context of COVID. More than any other scientist or public health expert I interviewed for this podcast, Heidi preaches empathy, an understanding of people who are skeptical of vaccines. She doesn't like the phrase anti-vaxxer. She says it's too polarizing, too ignorant of the broad spectrum of opinions people have on this subject. I think one of the problems with the framing of the pro and the anti is that it kind of pushes out this middle group that are undecided but very are still open and i think if they're if they're not getting a reasonable answer or even feeling like they're judged or as some say demonized for just asking questions it hardens them and they're more vulnerable to some of the more extreme views we've taken a cue from heidi here You'll notice that we don't use the term anti-vaxxer very often in this series. Sometimes the rumor is not really about the rumor. It's about a lot of distrust. And people are, because of their distrust of the system, they make assumptions. Their default is distrust. If people trust the system, they're not out there looking for rumors. But if you don't trust the system, you're much more gullible to conspiracies and others. Rumors that have cropped up over the past year are not unique to the pandemic. Conspiracy theories have circulated that 5G wireless technology is the real culprit of the virus. Similarly, 3G was suspected to cause SARS in 2003, and 4G was linked to swine flu in 2009. The rumors have less to do with any particular disease than a general distrust of the system. The tensions that underlie those ideas predate the rise of Donald Trump or the emergence of a deadly and highly contagious virus in Wuhan, China. 
The pandemic, though, has allowed those rumors to spread more than ever. What has been interesting to me and more than I expected was the way that the COVID rumor uh, and broader anti-vaccine narratives have gone way beyond the usual circles. These groups are looking for others who feel like them because it strengthens their numbers. And they really maybe care less about the vaccines and more about the principle of my choice, my freedoms, um, which is very deep in the uh, in the anti-vaccine groups these days. It's as much about that for many of them as it is any particular vaccine. All of the uncertainty of COVID-19 has heightened the tensions that were already fueling concerns about vaccines. Many people cite the newness of the vaccines as the root of their hesitancy. They doubt because they feel there isn't a convincing argument to prove the vaccines are safe. In fact, there is a horde of data provided to the FDA and vetted by independent experts that all suggest that authorized COVID-19 shots are not only extremely safe, but extraordinarily effective. Still, all that data can be hard to parse. It isn't easily understandable to most people. But a misleading headline about elderly Norwegians who died shortly after getting their job? Well, anyone can infer what that means. The fictions at times are just more accessible than the facts. But for vaccines to work... Most people have to take them. As soon as enough people lose confidence, that system falls apart. Heidi says that COVID-19 is an opportunity for the public health community to correct the record on vaccines. I see COVID as an absolutely huge opportunity because if we get this right, we can shift the landscape around confidence. If we get it wrong, it's also going to shift it into not a very good place. She says that to win the trust of people like John, first, the public health community needs to listen. If we want to get enough people vaccinated to stop COVID as a public health community, we need to be listening and getting back to the people who do have emerging concerns that are specific to COVID, that even if we don't have a perfect answer, we engage with them. Because if we don't, there's a lot of other eager groups trying to engage them. The number of frontline health workers who have declined the vaccine is maybe one of the most surprising stories of the past few months. Heidi made me think about John and all of his fellow first responders who opted out of the vaccine. In February, FDNY said that more than half of its paramedics and EMTs declined vaccination. A March poll by the Washington Post and Kaiser Family Foundation found that three in 10 frontline health workers said they were either unsure about getting vaccinated or didn't plan to at all. When we talk, John continually brings up that he feels he wasn't supported by the fire department during the pandemic. He feels he wasn't given enough training and that testing wasn't a priority at his station. He also brought up 9-11. He says he and other responders were not prepared with equipment like respirators to protect them from all the debris in the air. He has health issues like sleep apnea now, 
a disorder in which breathing stops and starts while you're sleeping, and a chronic sinus problem. It's not the end of the world, it's, but I got to wear a sleep machine uh, if I want to sleep in the bed because my wife doesn't want to hear me. It wasn't just public health officials John didn't trust. He was also wary of the authorities at the job giving him access to the vaccine. John isn't the only first responder who feels like the advice coming from the top can't totally be trusted. My name is Anthony Almagera. I am the vice president of the FDNY EMS Officers Union, Local 3621. I'm a lieutenant paramedic for the FDNY EMS Command. In explaining why so many of his colleagues have trepidation about the vaccine, Anthony also brought up 9-11. We're a little leery about the CDC's advice. They told us the air was good at 9-11. And so people didn't wear masks or respirators. And look at how many people got sick from that, based on their advice. Anthony says that many of his union members have expressed concerns about the speed of vaccine development. Some of his female co-workers say they're worried about how it might impact their ability to have children. People would, you know, had trepidations about taking it, and rightfully so, right? We've never produced a vaccine this quickly in human history. I had my own trepidations. Rather than falling down a YouTube rabbit hole, Anthony read pharmaceutical industry publications to learn how RNA-based medicines work. He also read both the studies from the Moderna and Pfizer clinical trials. Like John, he spent a lot of time trying to figure out how he felt about the vaccines. He wound up convinced that any risk that might be connected to them was worth it. He decided to get the shot. In this day and age, with so many ways to verify something, people just aren't doing it. And they go on feeling instead of fact. So I feel that vaccine is not going to be good for me. And then when I respond, why? They don't have a scientific answer. They don't have a, an answer that's deduced from some type of reasoning. It's based in feeling. When Anthony did get vaccinated, he made sure to share the news widely. I don't know how to break through other than by example. So when I went and got my shot, I posted it everywhere. I encouraged others to go get it. I updated people in real time on our message boards. Hey, I'm 24 hours after after the shot. I have a little soreness in the arm, but otherwise I feel fine. So John and Anthony both started out in the same place. Both had doubts about this revolutionary vaccine. They wanted to learn more. But the sources they found led them to different conclusions. Anthony went ahead and got it. And John, he chose to skip it. There were too many questions that I have out there that it, I'm not, I'm not going to get it until maybe down the road if I even do. John is still worried about Nico. But over the summer, his son had a surgery the doctors told the family made him far less vulnerable to the disease. If Nico hadn't gotten that surgery, John says he may have gotten the vaccine. I don't have a risk factor, you know. I don't have a risk factor. So, uh, other than being a little heavy, I don't, I don't have high blood pressure, diabetes, any kind of cardiac, me personally. So... For me to survive the disease, it's like 99.2% or 
versus taking something that they really haven't given out before. John is clear that he is not an anti-vaxxer. People like John are exactly who Heidi is talking about. He is not against vaccination. He just has some concerns. In fact, he says he sometimes argues with his wife's best friend, who he says is extremely against vaccines. He's not opposed to ever taking a COVID-19 vaccine. In a few months, if it's all going well, he might reconsider his stance. When I see, like, are there any adverse reactions, um, stuff like that, when I see more, I may reconsider. I I don't know. But whenever a friend or family member or colleague asks John about his decision to not get vaccinated, he sends them that same YouTube video that his aunt sent him, the one that first made him doubt. I always tell him I don't want to jade your decision. Like, I want your decision to be your decision, you know, especially me who was going to get it at first. and then I changed my mind. John says that so far, he sent that video to seven or eight other people. If you're the guy in the video, you hope the seven or eight people John sent it to pass it on to another seven people. And then they send it to another seven people after that. And soon enough, your message is everywhere. Person by person, the skepticism spreads. It's contagious. It's designed to be that way. People like that guy know what they are doing. They know how to rile folks up. Next time on Doubt, we'll go back in time to how all of this started. We'll show how a select few have exploited anxiety and uncertainty to make people believe misinformation and to make that misinformation go viral. That story is the story of a man named Andrew Wakefield. Doubt is written and reported by me, Kristen V. Brown. Topher Forges is our senior producer. Molly Nugent is our associate producer. Our theme was composed and performed by Hannes Brown. Special thanks to Bloomberg editors Rick Shine and Tim Annette, and my colleague, Angelica Levito. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Prognosis if you haven't already. And if you like our show please leave us a review. It helps others find out about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.